This is the Chillinoy Podcast. We will leave you with a... I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Fucking thing sucks! This episode was recorded around 4 p.m. on 9-11-2020. I am your host, Cole Preston, from the Chillinois Podcast, and uh, today I'm just joined uh, by Mike Boucher. Justine's not here this week, uh, but you guys might remember Mike uh, from GrownIn.com. He's actually been on the podcast before. Mike, welcome back to the Chillinois Podcast. Great to be here. Yeah, so you've been a... uh, a busy guy, uh, I would say, especially as of late. I mean, you're always busy. You're always reporting on some good stuff. But um, there's been some waves in the Illinois cannabis industry, so to say, in the sense that, uh, you know, there was a delay on the announcement of licenses. And I don't want to try to explain it myself. Sorry, I just dropped my keyboard or my uh, clipboard. I don't want to try to explain it myself. Uh, Mike, I think you might be able to do it better. Um, I, I do just have this one small description from the state. Um, they said on, you know, cannabis will be legal for adult use starting on January 1, and the state of Illinois is committed to ensuring that communities historically impacted by the criminalization of cannabis have an opportunity to participate in the cannabis industry. Um, and so they've made a social equity uh, applicant criteria And yeah, if you don't mind, Mike, why don't we start at the beginning? Um, You know, the state of Illinois was really patting themselves on the back about these measures, um, which they are good measures. Would you agree? I mean, at at a glance, you know. um, So uh, what was announced uh, this week was um, the uh, dispensary uh, the the dispensary uh the results of the dispensary scoring process uh for the 75 licenses and uh there were we never got an exact number from the state but we were told over 700 applicants submitted over 4,000 applications and the key thing is is that you could submit multiple applications Uh, You could submit an application for every one of the 75 licenses if you chose. Some places actually did that. Most applicants submitted multiple applications. Uh, And what the big surprise was is that out of 700 applications, only 21 were accepted to go to the tiebreaker round, which is going to be a lottery conducted by the Illinois Lottery. And that was a shocker uh, because of those 21 applicants, many are uh, very uh, well-connected, hyper-financed organizations. Um, And it does not fall into the spirit of the process that was created by the Illinois State Legislature, which meant to give a great deal of weight to social equity applicants. In fact, it does seem that uh, the license process um, favored in many ways veterans because of the way the scoring process worked. 
Right. Um, and so to be clear, just in case if we haven't been uh, clear enough, we're talking about the 75 licenses for dispensaries. Am I right, Mike? Correct. Yes, the 75 dispensary licenses. Um, and uh, so that was, uh, you know, a big shocker for a lot of people. Um, and um, there's a lot of dismayed and, and angry people um, with the process. Uh, they feel like they didn't get their fair share or their fair shake. Um, and um, looking at the licenses that were, or the applications and the information that I was provided by applicants, as well as the score sheets, it does seem that there were significant number of errors in the scoring process. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how you can go from, and I realize, I, I'm glad you clarified that, that companies can submit multiple applications, but I don't understand how you could go from 4,000, you said it was 4,000 applications, right, down to 21 being apparently perfect, right? Is that what the case is at this point? It's not 21 applications. It's actually 300 some odd applications spread among 21 companies. So gotcha. seven, 700, over 700 to 21 is, is the apples to apples comparison in that case. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so so it was a big, it was a big surprise. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, looking at, the materials uh, that came from the application process, it does seem that um, there is some merit to concerns that the scoring process was faulty uh, and that there's more people that, the way that you ended up with the 21 is, is that they all had a quote, perfect score. And uh, they're out of a total of 252 points. And if you look at many of the applications, uh, many of the applications were close in terms of their score. And it was, you know, a couple points off here, a couple points there. And it does seem that um, there were errors in the application process. And also um, applicants were supposed to receive uh, what's called a discrepancy notice uh, if there were problems with their application. And the standard for which discrepancy notices were sent out does not seem to be even. Uh, you know, why some groups received discrepancy notices and others didn't, why some received points off and others didn't, not entirely clear. Uh, right. And so that is the big question that needs to be answered. Yeah, one of the things I'd like to ask you a few questions about what you said, but one of the things I heard about specifically the deficiency notices is that some candidates are getting deficiency notices for things that were in fact in their application and so basically what they've had to do is restate what was already in the application and so I guess my follow-up question to that I don't know if you've heard about that happening but is uh, are these the sort of errors you're talking about with regard because you mentioned the deficiency notice but you also mentioned just what seemed to be clear errors um, in the, the scoring um, I've heard of that. Uh, I know of one case where somebody received or a team received points for something for a veteran and they didn't submit veteran paperwork, so they never asked for the points. Uh, I know of uh, a team that submitted three identical applications uh, and 
they receive discrepancy notices for two of the applications, but not a third. So, you know, there's a lot of strange stuff that needs to be explained one way or another. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that is, that's definitely strange. And so one of the things that I don't mean to, to steal maybe where you're, you're headed with this, but I would say that one of the main things that I'm hearing about now, um, it, it's the question that's kind of naturally coming up, who did this scoring? Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about what, what has come out with regard to that. And before we get into that, I do want to just say, I don't know if I plugged your full website. It's grownin.com. Um, this is where Mike Fouché is from. He and Brad Spearson um, report on uh, cannabis news in the Midwest. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. You got it all right. Uh, in terms of who scored it, we don't know. Uh, it was scored by, the, the contract was for a company called KPMG. Which is one of the major yeah. accounting, which is one of the major accounting firms, um, but um, exactly who at KPMG did the scoring and what the uh, qualifications were for who was part of the scoring process, we don't know. We don't know the scoring rubric. We don't know the process on how somebody chose to uh, send a deficiency notice or not. Um, we don't know the uh, scope of work or the contract. This was a no-bid contract that was awarded to KPMG. So we don't know much about those circumstances. Um, it's all a mystery. Gotcha. <laughs> but it, but a, it being... Not a good mystery. <laughs> I was going to say, but it being a tax funded by taxpayer dollars, you'd think that in the long run, we're going to be able to maybe find out the answer to some of these questions. What do you think? I hope I'm going to try. You know, <laughs> Fingers crossed, there, right? And I know there are others who are trying to find out too. Um, you know, uh, you never know. Uh, you know, these sort of things, uh, oftentimes they can be litigated by the government. The government can drag its feet. We may not find out for some time. Sure. One of the things I thought was interesting you guys reported on was the fact that uh, you know, we've had some cannabis uh, companies come on our show and they've talked about what they're doing for their incubator programs. And uh, you guys did some reporting on the fact that uh, incubator programs actually did not produce any companies that advanced to the lottery stage for retail licenses. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, uh, that is very disappointing um, because I know MSOs made a significant investment in this area. Uh, you know, whether or not you think that it's appropriate for them to be doing that and, you know, what the agreements they might have had with, with the applicants, you know, who knows, but uh, it, it was a thing where there, there was an attempt of a wealth transfer of some sort to social equity applicants. And, um, you know, that was uh, foiled by this process. Um, that is disappointing. Yeah. So what, can you comment on what exact, do you have any idea on what is going on with KPMG? I know that I saw a letter to, I believe the governor's office where they're asking, I saw like three main questions, but one of the things that I, I came out was that um, 
I guess somebody did like a scrub of one of their employees' Facebook accounts or LinkedIn accounts. Do you know anything about that story or do you have any comment on that? Sure. Uh, one of the applicants, uh, a gentleman named Hamid Kamal, uh, he is uh, part of a team that also includes former Chicago Police Superintendent Terry Halyard. Uh, Hamd Kamal uh, applied uh, as part of this team, and Hamd is a risk consultant for KPMG. And uh, the Sun-Times was able to get KPMG to confirm that he is an employee with them. Uh, and uh, although KPMG says, well, he's not involved with the scoring process, you know, that is a real black eye for KPMG and also for Hamz Kamal. Um, I, I'm surprised that KPMG didn't have a policy against their employees uh, applying. You know, maybe he indeed did. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, the state didn't include a policy as part of their contract that KPMG employees could not apply. Right. You know, that, that is, that is an egregious error in both of those cases um, by KPMG and the state. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and so just, I might butcher uh, some of the questions that they're asking, but again, they're right. Uh, I know some uh, representatives are writing uh, letters to the governor asking, you know, what were the criteria for choosing KPMG? Um, what expertise does that contractor even have in the cannabis retail operations uh, sector, so to say, or even with social equity? You know, like, do they do they have any foundation in that at all? And then uh, another question, which I think you're going to be interested to see, uh, which we were kind of talking about here at the beginning, which was, what was the diversity composition of the scores? I think what they're asking there is kind of to see that scoring rubric and, and some of those other things that you say are not public. Um, would you agree with that? Have you seen this letter that I'm talking about? I have, and you know, these are all part of uh, a series of questions that we're all trying to get answered. Um, you know, I'm I'm asking them of the state too, and they're not responding. Um, so gotcha. you know, we'll we'll see. Um, you know, I reported yesterday that uh, I asked for an interview with Toy Hutchinson. Uh, the cannabis czar for the state and the state responded that they would only allow written questions to be submitted in advance. Um, as an editorial policy, we don't allow pre-written questions to be submitted to government policymakers. They should be able to answer questions face-to-face. Yeah. Uh, -face. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, so we said, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the state is definitely clamming up here. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Well, damn, good, good, thank you for the heads up on that. I, I don't think Toy's going to uh, accept our invitation on the show if she wants pre-written questions. Cause, uh, I've been asking for an interview with her for five, four or five months now. Uh, I mean, I understand her hesitancy because there's a little bit of controversy around her appointment. Am I mistaken? I believe we talked about this on our last podcast. Um, which well, is why we've seen another. Yeah, yeah you I take a government. You take a government leadership position. You should be able to answer to the public. Oh, for sure. No, I, I hear you. For sure, I hear you there. I just and 
and she was a state senator before this. She, so I'm pretty sure she's not a scaredy cat. You know, she should be able to handle it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, what's what does this look like going forward? Because I, I I'll be honest, I'm somebody who likes to try to keep up with all of this stuff, and I know that there's not a lot of clear answers, but um, I'm I'm somebody that likes to keep up with this stuff, and this is this hard to keep up with, and I think there's I think that's by purpose, you know, like I think that's by design, I guess, um, that it is tough to keep up with because it sounds like um, it's even tough for uh, applicants to get a hold and get answers. That um, You reported that Illinois state cannabis regulators stopped responding to requests for um, application scorecards. Um, yeah, they did for a day or so. I've, I've since heard that people have gotten some responses back, but I think that they definitely trimmed down the number of responses that they're giving out. Um, and they, it seems like they're forcing some people to go through the FOIA process. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know what happens next. Um, there are four different lawsuits that have been filed in state and federal court. Uh, all of them have their own merits, uh, and um, they're chugging along. Um, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, one of the cases, uh, they when they filed on Wednesday, when they filed on Wednesday, I think they had uh, two people originally on the suit, and as of noon today, they had swelled to forty-three plaintiffs. Um, they're the state lawsuit, uh, one of the state lawsuits I spoke to, I think they have something like six companies that are plaintiffs and they're expecting to add on more soon. So, um, it's difficult to say what comes next. Um, you know, these cases will chug forward, uh, you know, the larger of the two federal cases, they have a temporary restraining order hearing on on Thursday afternoon um, next week. The ones in state court have not had hearings yet, or one of them had a hearing, just a very preliminary hearing, uh, but they haven't begun schedules or discovery or any of that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, a lot of things are gonna happen. The state had said that the earliest that they could hold a lottery would be September 23rd. And uh, in a hearing this morning, they assured the court, the federal court, that they would not be holding a hearing until the, or holding the lottery until the judge had an opportunity to make a ruling on the temp temporary restraining order. Um, so that is chugging along with that. Not quite sure what's going to happen there. Um, Governor Pritzker, Wednesday night. Our Wednesday day made some comments basically saying, I think the process went fine uh, and doubling down on it. Um, so it doesn't seem wow. that Pritzker is going to stop anything. Um, the, uh, the other thing that is expected to go forward is the announcement of the craft growth transport and infuser licenses. Um, which I asked the Department of Agriculture uh, for when that is going to come forward. And they told me today they don't have a date set yet. But that selection process, that scoring process, is also being run by KPMG. 
Um, and there's no suggestion that that's a different group of people at KPMG. So, yeah. um, you know, who knows how that process am I, went. Am I correct, though, that the craft grow, and I don't know about transportation or infusion, infusion but I've heard that craft grow specifically, there is actually an appeal process modeled. Is that weird the same? Which is different from this dispensary. Um, I don't license. know about that. That may be true. I don't know. Gotcha. Uh, I haven't I haven't uh, researched that as much as the dispensary process. Gotcha. Um, I just thought I just wanted to ask that question because I thought it was interesting. If it is, if that is the case that they did model out an appeal process for the craft grow, my question, which I wouldn't expect you to know the answer to, but like, why the hell did I not do that for dispensary licenses? But um, <laughs> one of the questions I wanted to jump back to, and maybe it's maybe it's that I just sparked up a joint a second ago and it's flying right over my head, but I am having trouble grasping how we are talking about 23 companies when, again, we were patting ourselves on the back saying that set the first 75 licenses, is it still that 75 licenses will be awarded to these 23 companies? Is that what it is? 21, um, yes. yes. Or 21? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so there are still 75 licenses being awarded because I was like, what happened to the 75 licenses? Why are we down to 21? So I was, yes. I was missing so, that point. The, the likelihood of people getting multiple licenses is pretty high. And there's somebody who may end up, you know, with a lot of licenses. And so uh, it, it is going to be a lot of, a lot of value going to a small group of people. Yeah, it'll be, I guess, you know, one of the questions I was about to ask was like, why the hell, you know, you figure it was 75 out of uh, 4,000 applications, 700 companies, I think you said, is that right? Seven hundred yes. companies maybe had their hats in the. You'd think that out of seven hundred, you could find seventy-five unique. I, I don't know. It's just it's weird to me that somebody's possibly getting a monopoly on dispensaries. Not not really a monopoly, but you know, a little bit more control. Um, but I, I guess we'll get those answers when the scoring and all that stuff, if and when it comes out, right? Yep. Yep. Cool. Uh, it it is. There is definitely something odd about the whole process. That's for sure. Yeah, everybody's scratching their head. Um, I saw, oh, I guess it was Brad that reported this uh, yesterday that um, Eddie Moore um, was talking about her on quote secret, secret sauce behind her successful Illinois dispensary applications. Edie Moore, um, yes. Edie Moore. That's all. Yes, the, the head of the, uh, Chicago normal. And, um, you know, to Edie's credit, she has been involved in this process for a long time. She actually did win medical license, uh, medical license and a, uh, um, a, uh, craft, a, uh, cultivation license as well. So, you know, this, she, six years ago, she was on it. Um, and she should know this process as well as anybody else. Right. So, well, and she uh, was a she was a veteran, which is like you were saying, a pretty strong, mm -hmm. um, strong thing to have in your application. Yes, and that is another important aspect. Um, so you know, I, for her to have won the license, that's not surprising to me. Um, yeah. What I think is surprising. I don't, I don't, you know, there, it's hard to 
really criticize anybody who made it to this round. It's, for it's sure. not, you know, maybe it's disappointing for the characterization of some of the people, but uh, it, what is surprising is that it's limited to this group of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I want to be clear. Hats off to the people that, that won. I mean, it's not like, well, we hope, fingers crossed, that they didn't, you know, fix the game, right? But um, that, for all intents and purposes, there's no real way, I think, that we know that they could have done that. So I want to be clear that, yeah, we're not bashing on these 21 companies. You know, we're just talking about this This just it simply looks weird. I want to, you know, ask you about something, though, that we just talked about, which is the idea that being a veteran – um, gives you a stronger application, you know, hats off to our veterans. My brother is currently serving in, in the services right now. And I've got, you know, all the respect uh, for our people uh, in uniform and, you know, that are serving for us right now. Um, but is it, is it a weird, is there a disconnect for you, uh, Mike, that the veteran status gives you like a, a leg up in what, was supposed to be a social equity, um, you know, it was supposed to be an equitable thing to do socially. I just feel like most, most people that were uh, impacted by the war on drugs may not have been veterans as well. You I think know that's what I mean? probably right. That is probably right. Um, it does seem strange. Uh, it, it seems strange to include veteran status at all as part of the scoring process, uh, because as you said, the, the point of this process was not to be assisting veterans, but a different group of people. Um, and I think that there is a knee-jerk response within government to try and find ways to be uh, supportive of veterans, but it isn't always necessarily appropriate. For the circumstances and i think that we found one of those circumstances yeah definitely definitely um so yeah that's i mean that's kind of the state of things um there was that federal hearing today uh, i'm sure there's going to be more hearings um i guess just a parting question because there's you know this is all still developing i'm sure i'm gonna uh you'll hear from me in the future you know after this craft grow transport and infusion license stuff comes out because i'd love to have you back on to talk sure. about what what goes on with that um but um what do you how does sorry i'm kind of having trouble formulating this question how does something sorry. like this go to a federal court because this is like you know i'm just thinking about the whole illegality on the federal level and i guess it since it doesn't really necessarily have to do primarily with cannabis it's just the awarding of the license but how is this you know what i mean like how is this going to a federal court do you have any insight on that i don't um and that actually is a really good question um how exactly does the federal court address this when it's federally illegal i don't yeah. know <laughs> that's yeah. a great hopefully question. it's not a hopefully it's not a trump appointed judge because you know what'll happen there yeah well i actually that's a good <laughs> question I haven't looked up the the judge that is hearing the case. You know, so I've listened to him so far. Uh, he seems to be um, fair and uh, working hard to try and uh, address things uh, fairly and calmly. 
Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I guess just to maybe do a, um, a spoiler for the next podcast, since we are, we'll be talking about probably craft grow licenses. Um, just as we um, close here, Mike, do you want to talk about the fact I want, wanted to cite another article that you reported on, on uh, grownin.com, which is mm -hmm. um, where you work. Just wanted to plug that again for our listeners Thank real you. quick. Grownin.com, go there, read all yes. the stuff. Definitely. Uh, sign up. Yeah. For the newsletter. Cause it's, it's awesome. Yep. So, and they've got the best reporting in the state of Illinois and in the Midwest. I just will have to say myself. So um, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we, we love the right relationship we have with you. But anyways, one of the things you have brought up, which I think we've talked about on the show uh, with some other guests is, you know, is these applicants, wait for their craft grow licenses um, the question is starting to arise is this even a good opportunity to invest in um, do you want to talk about that a little bit sure um, you know I think you know one of the one of the problems with craft growers is that you're only allowed to start with about a 5,000 square foot space uh, right. And then the state law allows you to expand it to as much as 14,000 over a series of years, which is really not that much, uh, particularly when you take into account a company like Cresco has already built out something like 215,000 square feet, and they can legally build up to 630,000 square feet, which is, you know, in terms of market size, uh, it's pretty big. And so the argument on one side is, well, craft grow is really not about actually trying to build a business that's significant and competitive on the market space. Craft grow is really about building a ma and pa kind of business that could sustain you for a long time and be able to make specialized forms of cannabis, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, tinctures or, other kind of extractions uh, or the flower itself, you know, who knows? Um, but the, the point is, is that the argument is, well, if you're really going to be getting into the business and you're going to be spending all the money in order to build out a place like this, you need to be able to build it out much bigger so that you can actually make back your investment. Yeah, and, scale up. Yeah. So people from out of state are saying, well, you know, that's not really a good investment. I wouldn't want to get involved with it. So, you know, it's hard to say where that's going to go. Yeah. Um, so uh, not to put you on, a, on the spot, but I was just thinking about something that you had mentioned on the last episode that I wanted to maybe give you the opportunity to clarify. Um, we had talked about craft growers and you had mentioned maybe the ability that craft growers could directly sell to customers. Um, I hadn't been able to find anything that pointed to that, but do you, do you have anything that points to that being the case? Or maybe That's I misunderstood you. I, I, I was incorrect. I, I said the wrong thing and I apologize. Craft no grow, worries, no worries. I, I got excited. That's the only reason I wanted yeah, to Yeah, <laughs> I was wrong about that and I apologize. Uh, the one thing that craft growers can do is that they can, uh, um, do extractions and they can process cannabis. Mm, um, mm. So, but so they can then sell that to infusers. 
But no, right. that's correct. They can't sell directly to customers. That's right. Darn it. But that is something was... that's been proposed uh, in order to turn it into something. So uh, yeah, it'll allow them to behave like dispensaries if they sold only their own product, which would be much like uh, much like the um, the way that craft breweries work. Craft breweries can sell their own beer on right. site. And that actually is the, the major way that craft breweries actually make money is by selling their own beer on site. Yeah. So, so I'm not um, quite sure why that wasn't approved, but it wasn't. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I just want to, I've been trying to say this more and more. Uh, people go to vote.gov, make sure you're registered to vote, research who, you know, your local representatives are and what their policies are. And if they align with your values, I'd like to say if they're pro-cannabis, vote for them. But I will just say if they align with your values, vote for them, you know, and uh, please vote. This, this, uh, yeah, vote.org vote is also a really good site, too, uh, if, if you've seen that, vote.org. Maybe that's what I meant. Maybe yeah. that's what I meant. Because, yeah, it, it basically, no matter what state you're in, it'll get you to, yep, that's what yeah. I was talking about. So it gives you all the yeah. information. So vote.org, thank you, Mike. Sure. Um, and that'll give you all the information you need. You can, you know, get your vote by mail, uh, ballot. Um, you can get reminders set up um if, you know sign up to be a poll worker which is super important if you're able to do that this season do that um, i'm thinking about doing that myself um so that was a good that was a good little public service announcement there mike at the end for our, <laughs> just for our people right everyone go vote that's a good thing yes absolutely so mike i want you to plug uh, your website again where can we find grown in at grownin.com g-r-o-w-n-i-n.com please go there read our stuff, sign up for free. Uh, it's free. It will always be free. Um, and uh, we would love to have your reading. And also, if you're an applicant, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you too. Mike at grownin.com. I'd love to hear your story. Perfect. Yeah, I was about to ask where, where people can get in contact with you. So yeah, Mike at grownin.com. Um, we'll throw the website and Mike's uh, email in the podcast description. So you can just, uh, if you're listening right now, just look in your podcast description and you'll see that and go and read their material, sign up for their newsletter. And if you uh, are an applicant, like Mike said, or if you even just have a tip, I'm sure Mike would be glad to hear from you if you've got some sort of story uh, that you feel uh, that people need to hear about. So I would love um, to hear from you if you have a tip. <laughs> perfect cool great. so <laughs> awesome well thank you so much uh for once again coming on to the chillinois podcast like i said i will definitely reach out to you in the future because uh you're you're very well informed on what's going on and like i said as much as i'd like to keep up with some of this stuff man it's tough so i want to thank you for what you do and what you, what brad does as well you guys are doing uh god's work as they say <laughs> Thank you so much, Cole. That's really kind of you. I really appreciate it. Fuckers, open the bus up and stop bullshitting the kid. My dick got a mission.